you're a guest, we're so glad you're here. My name's David, and I'm the pastor. And thanks for coming. You're always welcome. It's, it looks like a Southwest Airlines flight right now, doesn't it? A little bit crowded. You do that? I know that. You're just, you're just hoping no one gets that middle seat next to you, right? That's what I do all the time when I fly Southwest. You know, I pay for seating A, the group A. And then I sit back on about row 11. I sit on that aisle, and I just spread out, man. I just, I just make my body massively more than it is. And it, it works, except, you know, when it doesn't. But it, it works a lot. That, that. The only thing you don't want is that you're almost at the end, right? And, and you're almost, no one's going to sit next to you. And there's like two or three, and then the big, big, sweaty guy walks in. You're thinking, oh, this backfired miserably on me like that. So listen, uh, we are glad you worship with us. Two weeks from today, on May 1st, we start a brand new series. It's a series to help, you know, with, with kids and the culture we live in, the day we live in. I know it's tough. We want to come to God's words, see if we can help you. And so it's the series entitled, God Gave Them to You, So Guard Their Hearts. And so I hope you'll be a part of that. But we got two more weeks in the series that we're in. And if you're a first-time guest with us or you're visiting family, uh, this series is entitled Breakthrough. And uh, Breakthrough has been a study that started from the 1st of January through the gospel of Mark. And uh, Mark and Matthew and Luke wrote their accounts of the life of Jesus about the same time. John wrote about two decades later. And uh, they were looking around and realized, you know, the leadership of the Holy Spirit, of course, that, that Christianity has been around about 30 years. And the faith that they had. And that in that time, a lot of the early believers had started to die off. And Mark understood that Christianity was becoming more and more Gentile. And so he wanted to write an account of the life of Christ that would, would benefit the Gentiles. And he went actually to Peter and got information from Peter. And uh, Mark's account of the life of, Je of Jesus provided a breakthrough for those who knew nothing of his love. And so today we're in the 16th of 17 messages. And we're coming to the very end of the Gospel of Mark to deal with the resurrection in a sermon entitled Breaking Free. About the resurrection of Christ, breaking free. And here's the thing about the resurrection. And, and, you know, we come and we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, and you're celebrating it with us. I know there are people all over our country, some will be in churches, some will be even preaching. There are people who even preach uh, about Jesus who don't believe the resurrection of Jesus is real. For some reason, they just don't believe it really, really happened. And so today we're gonna come to answer the question Did Jesus really rise from the dead? Did he rise from the dead? Is that true? And so we're going to begin today just stating the fact that Jesus was dead and buried. Okay, we're going, to, we're going to start off, Jesus is dead and he is buried. And you understand, last week we saw the crucifixion of Christ, and when that happened, man, the disciples were scattered. Once he was in the custody of the Jews and the Romans, they were through. All those guys, those 11 guys, because Judas had betrayed him, and then he, was, he killed, took his own life, and the 11 guys left. And then all the other people, too, but those 11 guys, all that they knew about Jesus, all the time they spent with him, all the instruction they got, they just cast it aside and they fled. Because what they had hoped Jesus was going to do is when he came into Jerusalem triumphantly on what we call Palm Sunday, I mean, they thought he was going to come and wipe out the Romans and establish that kingdom forever, and they were going to reign, and it was going to be good, and then he died, and he failed, and he was in disgrace. And they thought that because they were connected to Jesus, that they were next. And so they scattered. And all that was really left was a handful of women and two prominent, wealthy Jewish men who were members of the Jewish ruling court who had actually put Jesus to death. That sets the framework. For the greatest event in human history, which is 
the resurrection of Christ. Now, here's the thing you need to understand, and I've shared this with you before. There are certain things that in my tenure here I share over and over again because they're important. That God is holy, you know, that the, 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 the primary sin of all the life is the very first sin to be the God of our own lives. Um, the Bible is clearest at the cross. I share that. But I share this on a regular basis because this is fundamental. It's that Christianity rises and falls on the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection is true. Christianity is true. If resurrection is false, Christianity is false. And this is it. This is what it rises and falls on. Now, I, and I know, you know, we like all the other stuff, and I get it. And I believe it's all there. I look at the Old Testament. I believe the, all the Old Testament stuff. I do. I, I believe in the flood. I believe in Noah. I believe all that's true. But let me tell you, Christianity doesn't rise or fall on whether or not the story of Noah's ark is true. It just doesn't. And, and I like all those guys, Moses and David and Elijah and all that. Their stories, Christianity and the truth of Christianity and my salvation doesn't rise or fall on their stories. It rises or falls on the Jesus story. And from the moment he came into this world at the incarnation, everything points to the resurrection. And Christianity rises or falls. On the resurrection of Jesus. So Mark 15 verse 42. When evening had already come. Because it was the preparation day. That is the day before the Sabbath. Now understand. That's, that means Friday. Days, days were counted from sunset to sunset. And so evening would be a little before and a little after because, you know, sunset's not an exact time back then. So basically, it was the preparation day before the Sabbath. The Sabbath was always Saturday. So the preparation day before, that's Friday. I know there are some who like to teach, well, you know, Jesus actually had to die on Thursday, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, no. And the reason we know he didn't is because, like Mark tells us, he died on Friday. Mark's saying, hey, he died on Friday. So, you know, we're going to go with that. Joseph of Arimathea came, a prominent member of the council. Now, Remember, I told you there were two guys, along with those women, that were these older Jewish wealthy guys. This is one. Joseph, the other was Nicodemus. We read about him in John's account of the, of the resurrection story. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Whenever you start dealing with the resurrection, you've got to look at all of them together. Now, those two guys, they were, they were part of the ruling council that put Jesus to death. Nobody believes they were a part of that. We know from one of the other gospels that Joseph was a secret believer. But he wasn't secret anymore because he was waiting for the kingdom of God. And he gathered up the courage and went to poor Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Now, it took a lot of courage to do that. For one, Pilate put Jesus to death technically because it was treason. No, Pilate, you know, really knew Jesus was innocent of everything. But if you're going to go and ask for the body of the guy that was put to death for treason, you probably had a connection to him. You were risking your life a little bit. Normally, the body was given to family members. Or actually, the body was normally just burned out, you know, in, in the valley next door or next to Jerusalem. And so uh, the fact that he wasn't a family member, the, the fact that he wouldn't ask was pretty courageous, but also was courageous. Because he was a part of the Jewish group that killed Jesus. And now he wasn't a secret believer anymore. They all had to know he was one of them. Verse 44. Pilate wondered if he was dead by this time. And summoning the centurion, he questioned him as to whether he was already dead. Now, normally it took a long time to die by crucifixion. You know, even though they were beaten horribly and, and eventually would probably just die from the infection of the beatings they had, it could have lingered for days. Now, because it was on a Friday and the Jews had certain, you know, traditions, the pilot was going to have them break the, the, the bones, you know, of, the, of their legs so they would collapse and suffocate. But he was surprised that Jesus was already dead because he just don't die that fast. And so it says he 
went to the centurion, who was an expert in death. He ascertained from the centurion, and he granted the body to Joseph. So he found out that he was really dead. In our Christian faith, for as long as Christianity has been around, people challenge and question the resurrection of Jesus. And as we go through the passage today, I'm going to share with you some of those challenges, some of those questions regarding the resurrection of Jesus. And one of the things that people say, and I hear this from time to time, uh, is that Jesus never actually died. That he really, really didn't die. That was Pilate's concern. How could this guy be dead? Now you understand, you know, Romans knew all about death. So he said, how, how could this guy be dead? What, what I hear from time to time, for instance, one of the things that people will say was, well, you know, Jesus couldn't carry the cross beam to the cross, so they had, they had uh, Simon Serena, the, the, the Serena guy, do it. Someone else, Simon, carried it for him. And so they just you know, got confused, and, and they killed Simon instead of Jesus. I'm pretty sure the Romans knew who they were supposed to kill. I mean, they're good at what they did. They had Roman efficiency. So now, and then some people say, well, Jesus, he just fainted on the cross. He was unconscious. They took him down. And even though was, he was just beaten to shreds and would probably have died of infection, was so weak he couldn't carry the crossbeam. And they wrapped him in all this cloth like he was a mummy. When they put him in the tomb, the tomb was cool and he revived. And he just burst open all of that cloth and he rolled that several thousand pound stone away and walked it out. That seems a little far-fetched. I mean, we know from one of the other accounts, they actually took a spear and stuck it in him. I mean, up to the heart. You ever had a spear stuck in your heart? No, you haven't, because you're still sitting here. <laughs> the Romans were experts at death. They said he was dead. He was dead. They knew their business, and they knew what they were doing. So we go on. Here's what we see. The Joseph then bought a linen cloth and took him down and wrapped him in the cloth. Nicodemus helped him. And he laid him in a tomb which had been hewn out of a rock. And in, uh, he rolled the stone against the entrance to the tomb. So from the all four gospel accounts, we know that Joseph had this tomb. Now back then, they, you know, we liked to bury in the ground. And they did that a little. Sometimes they'd burn the bodies. But they liked, especially if you had money, to put them in a cave. And uh, so caves may have you know, already been there. Or sometimes if you had the money, you would just dig your own cave out of the side of the hill. And it looks like that's what Joseph did. He put a real nice, he was a wealthy man, put a nice tomb in there for him and his family. And then you would have this massive rock because they didn't want grave robbers coming to steal the body and all that stuff. And so uh, they would carve out these rocks that looked like a big, huge disc. And they would be several thousand pounds. Some say maybe as many as 4,000 pounds. And they put them at an angle so they'd roll down in front of the hole. Have you ever seen Indiana Jones when the rock comes to rolling? That's what they did. And uh, in order to move it, it would take, a ma it would take some engineering work because not only would it take people, but you'd have to do ropes and hoist it up. And so it kind of made sure that he was in there for good. Not only that, but the book of Matthew tells us that the Jewish leaders were concerned. You see, the Jews understood what Jesus said sometimes better than what his own followers said. Didn't they believe it? But they knew that Jesus said, I'm going to come back on the third day. And they were afraid that the disciples of Jesus might steal the body of Jesus. So you know what they did? They made sure that they couldn't steal the body of Jesus. They've had Pilate put a Roman guard out there, 12 Roman soldiers probably. If you've ever seen the movie Risen, it's a great movie by the way, but 
in that movie, they had two drunken soldiers <laughs> guarding the two. Uh, they went two, there's about 12. And they were sober. They were sober as a Baptist preacher on Easter. Let me tell you that right now, you know. <laughs> I can't say, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to mention Methodists or Presbyterians. I'm just not going to mention them. <laughs> sure not going to mention Church of Christ at all. Because they're sober too. I mean, those guys, and, and listen, you try to steal that body, you think 11 farmers from Galilee and fishermen are going to come up. Make it get some guys with them. are going to come beat 12 Roman soldiers who knew how to kill you several different ways. Nah. The disciples, one of the, one of the things we hear all the time, one of the things that I hear from people is when you know the disciples stole the body of Jesus. That's one of the claims that is made. In fact, that's going to be the claim that the Jews would make in Matthew. Well, they stole his body. How could they steal the body? You guaranteed he couldn't steal the body. I mean, there's a rock there, and then you put soldiers there. Listen, the body of Jesus was not stolen. It couldn't have been stolen. So we come now to verse 47. Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph, means Joseph, and some other women from the other accounts were there also, were looking on to see where he was laid. So they wanted to know where was Jesus going to be because they were planning on coming back as soon as they could. And so you have all these people knowing where Jesus is. You have the Romans knowing, you have the Jews knowing, you have the women knowing. And, and one of the things that, that I hear sometimes, and you read that to account for the resurrection, is that they went to the wrong tomb. See, we make the assumption that people in the first century were really dumb, that they didn't know where they buried people. You know, kind of like Jimmy Hoffa, nobody knows where he went. That's a joke for older crowds, is it not? Some of you younger are like, who's Jimmy Hoffa? Googling, not now, later. Or if you don't Google, whatever you do. Whatever y'all do these things. And so, I mean, they, here's the thing. People knew where Jesus was buried. <laughs> it makes it difficult to claim people went to the wrong tomb. They knew where he was. So here's what we have. Jesus is dead and buried. He's dead. There's no question he's dead. He's in a tomb. They know where the tomb is. And there ain't no way anybody is stealing that body. Jesus is dead and he is buried. And then he wasn't. And then he wasn't. Now, for those of you that are just here for this Sunday because you're a guest, you come through, and, and uh, I, since I'm doing the study through the Gospel of Mark, I need to take a few moments for those who come, uh, who've heard a lot of the series. I need to talk a little bit about this ending of Mark because we're going to end Mark where, where I would say it would be ending in verse 8. In your Bible, if you have a Bible with you, if you have a King James Bible, it goes all the way to verse 20. All the other versions, New American Standard, International, English Standard, all of those. It ends in verse 8, and then there'll be a footnote, or there'll be things in parentheses or italics that will have verses 9 through 20. And somewhere it'll say, the oldest or the best manuscripts don't have these verses. And that's true. So understand, when we get the New Testament, it's not like there are five or six old copies that we get it from. We don't have any of the originals. The original, when Mark sat down and wrote this, we believe he was inspired, you know, inerrant, you know, you know, infallible, all the ends. We believe all of that. But over time, you just make copies. And we don't have the original. But what we have are manuscripts, whole books from the New Testament, partials, you know, maybe this book or that book, thousands. I mean, I think the, I think the number's now over 10,000. More, thousands more than anything else closely dating that age. And they're not going to agree 100%. Of course not. You know, some of you are taking notes off here, and I guarantee you when it's over, y'all didn't all write down the same thing. What I put up there is the inspired, authentic version. 
Your copy is maybe close. It's going to be flawed because you didn't come up with the original. But you still get the gist of it. You can still trust it. Well, you have these copies. The oldest don't have verses 9 through 20. Now, here's the problem. Verse 8 ends, and after that, there's no appearance of Jesus. Nobody saw him, actually, which is really not an issue at all. So evidently, some people somewhere thought you had to have some ending that has people seeing Jesus. In fact, there are multiple endings to the Gospel of Mark in some of these documents. But the best end at verse 8. Now, it, you know, verse 9 through 20 is fine. Now, if, 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 you know, but it's not, it doesn't read well. If you read it, not now, but do it later, it doesn't even read, it doesn't read like the rest of the book. In English, you put it in Greek, and it's really weird. Because there are words, there's like, in those 12 verses, there are 15 unique words not found anywhere else in the Gospel of Mark. That just doesn't happen. So it reads weird. And, then, and there's many other reasons, too. But the other thing I would share with you just for this sermon is there's some weird things in there, like the part about handling poisonous snakes and drinking poison. That's not found any, in any of the other Gospels. It's not found in any of the letters that they did that. There's no evidence the early church did that. The only churches I know for sure that did that were some kind of Baptist churches in Arkansas, Kentucky, and Tennessee. <laughs> if you're from Arkansas, Kentucky, and Tennessee, congratulations. You own the record for the most snake candling Baptist churches in the world. No, that's not meant to be. So I'm just saying... So, it's, it's fine ends at verse 8. Understand, the truth of Mark's gospel doesn't rest on those 12 verses. Whatever happened, the truth of Christianity doesn't rest on those 12 verses. It rests on the ones we're about to see that deal with the resurrection. Now, when I tell you that people come up and question the resurrection of Jesus, here's the one that I tend to hear the most often today that people tell me. And people will say this, the early church made up the resurrection accounts. They just made it up. And, and now people will tell me that, I'm like, well, how do you know they made it up? Well, they just did. But like, do you have any evidence? Do you have any proof? No, they just, there's no way it could have happened. They just made it up. I find it amazing that we live in a day and age where you don't have to have evidence or proof for anything. You could just believe it and it magically becomes true. And so that's what they tell you. Chapter 16. Verse 1, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and the Mary, the mother of James, that's the same Mary that was the mother of Joseph, but they just get dual credit. I, for some reason, he did it this way. And Salome, and there were others as well, brought spices so they might come and anoint him. So they're, they're gonna, they, they, this is Sunday morning. They're going to come and anoint the body of Jesus because they think it needs to be done. And very early in the first day of the week, that's, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. So when, when the sun had come up, they, they came. They didn't go at night, but they came then. And they were all saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Because there's that big old rock there. They don't even know about the Roman soldiers. Who's going to roll the rock away? Well, we hadn't thought of that, but they're going. Notice, there are no guys with them. There's no, there's no Peter. You know, Peter, remember or some of you earlier, earlier in the series, Peter, the rock. The rock ain't there to roll away the rock. You got it? Ain't no, I just made that up. That's pretty good. Y'all record that and mark that so I can add it to my repertoire of funny things I made up one day. <laughs> Looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away. Although, <laughs> this is an understatement. It was extremely large. Yeah, right. It was gone. Now, I want you to know this. When, when people say the early church just made up the accounts of Jesus, do you know who the first people were that, that we have recorded that saw an empty tomb? There's a group of women. 
And some of you are like, saying, well, what's the big deal? Just hang on a second. The very first person to ever see Jesus alive was a woman named Mary Magdalene. John tells us that completely. Now, here's what makes this crazy. And don't be offended. Women, do not be offended at what I'm about to say. This isn't true today. This is not a doctrine of the Christian faith. This is how things were 2,000 years ago. I can't help it. This is how it was. The testimony of women was invalid in any court. <laughs> you, you, you didn't do jury duty, which some of you say, thank goodness for that. You didn't testify in the court. You did nothing. I mean, a guy could kill another guy. And the only people that could see it would be 100 women. And they would discount their testimony. Your testimony didn't count. So let me ask you this. You're going to start a movement, right? Christian faith. Is, you're going to start this movement. And you want to get it off to a great start, the resurrection of Jesus. You really think you're going to have a group of women be the first to see Jesus alive? You're not doing that. You might today. You know, Nora Roberts might do it that way. But Mark ain't doing it that way. Not only that, but here's the other thing you remember. No one anticipated the resurrection. No one believed he would rise again. Who's going to roll away the rock? There were no God. The disciples didn't say, hey, man, let's go see if Jesus is still in the tomb. Remember, he told us he was going to rise again. None of that was there. So the idea that they made this up, there's no evidence. I mean, it gets even more later on. Entering the tomb, verse 5. They saw a young man sitting at the right, wearing a white robe. And they were amazed. They were shocked. This, they didn't see Jesus. They saw this guy. We know from the other accounts he was an angel. Luke and, Ma and John say there were two. Matthew and Mark don't say there was only one. They just talk about the one who spoke. So there's no conflict there. And, you know, and he, he just looks like a guy, but he's angelic. And, you know, I know there are some people who want to spend all their time in verse 5 figuring out the angel. And you're just wasting your time. Verse 6. And he said to them, do not be amazed. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who's been crucified. So I know why you're here. You're not here for me. You're here for Jesus. The guy from Nazareth, just to clarify, the one who was crucified. He has risen. Matthew says, just as he told us. He adds, just as he said, he has risen. He is not here. Behold, here is the place where they laid him. Here's the tomb. They didn't know Jesus. Why? Because he did what he told you they would do. He rose again. In the Gospel of Mark, on three different occasions, we looked at all three early on. Jesus, he records Jesus as saying, I'm going to be betrayed, I'm going to be killed, and on the third day I'm going to rise again. He told them that at least three times. The second time he told them, Mark it makes it sound like he told them repeatedly. They weren't there. They didn't believe it. And it happened. I heard this from somebody, so I can't claim this is my own. If somebody... Is going to tell you how they're going to die and that they're going to come back to life on the third day. And they pull that off, you might want to believe everything they tell you. He told them, he did it in verse 7. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, you know, the disciples who fled, Peter who denied him three times, the rock, no one sees the rock. He's going ahead of you to Galilee, and there you will see him, just as he told you. Get this. Here's a group of women, and the angel gives into the hands of the women the first commandment after the resurrection. 
go get the guys who are supposed to be here. Tell them what happened. Now, we know from the other gospels they go and tell them they actually come to empty tomb. And, and Jesus is going to make several appearances before he gets to Galilee. I got that. But, but he's telling them. His soldier's going to go to Galilee and meet you there. He's going to meet you there. Now, at this point, you know, there's one more verse left. We'll see in a minute. But there's, we don't see any more you know, about the resurrection. There's no, there's no appearances of Jesus, which disturbs people. But it shouldn't be disturbing because we have here the evidence that he's going to be seen. He's saying, there's, go because Jesus is going to make an appearance. Understand this. Mark assumes what the other gospel writers, Peter and Paul, proclaim, that people saw Jesus alive. 1 Corinthians 15. Now, if you come on Wednesday night, we just, we're going through 1 Corinthians. We're almost through. We just finished up the 15th chapter. But in 1 Corinthians 15, the very beginning of that chapter, Paul, laid, uh, Peter, I mean, Paul writes out, here's the gospel. He says, this is the gospel. Jesus died for our sins according to Scripture. Check. He was buried. Check. He's going to rise again on the third day according to Scripture. Check. And oh, by the way, people saw him. Peter saw him. The disciples saw him. 500 people saw him at one time. And, and oh, if that's not enough, two guys who did not believe in Jesus prior to the resurrection. His brother James became a believer. And then Paul said, me, the guy who wanted to kill all the Christians, I became a believer after the resurrection. Why? Because they saw the resurrected body. Now understand, when people who say the early church just made up these accounts, you need to understand this, that Paul is recognized historically as an actual living person. I mean, Paul's the guy. No, nobody who's a student of antiquity doubts Paul existed. Even those outside of Christ. And he wrote letters. Because he has an influence on Christianity. How did he influence Christianity? He wrote letters. Now, not everyone agrees. We say 13. Not everyone agrees. But one of the letters they all agree upon is 1 Corinthians. Everybody who understands history knows that Paul wrote 1 Corinthians. So they all admit that a guy who we know from other sources died under Nero's hands in 68. That guy, Paul, in about 55 AD, wrote a letter in which he says, people saw Jesus alive. They didn't make that up. It's what they believed. Verse 8. They went out and fled from the tomb. They were trembling. They were shaken. And they were astonished. Astonishment had gripped them, overcome them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. And it's over, the book. And people say, well, that's the weird way to end the book. No, it's not. Here were these women who went to see and anoint the dead Savior they loved. And they found out he had risen. And they were told to go begin the movement of people that would follow Christ. Oh, man, they were scared. And what Mark does so beautifully at this point is when he ends the story of Jesus, our story begins. Our story begins. Here's what I want to share with you. Two things in concluding the gospel of Mark. First is this. At the resurrection, not only did Jesus break free from his death, he broke us free from our sin and our death. He didn't just break free from his death. He provided the way to break us free. At the very beginning of the gospel, the second message I preached, I preached where Mark records Jesus is saying, follow me, follow me. We're to follow Jesus. The rest of the gospel, he tells us why we should follow Jesus. And it concludes with here, because Jesus broke free. From death. He can break us free. From that death, which I told you last week, is that separation from God. Because of our sin and failure. He can break us free. Which brings me to the second thing I want you to see. As you conclude the gospel of Mark. The end of Mark's story of Jesus. Can be the beginning of your story with Jesus. This can be the beginning of your story. 
with Jesus. He said, repent of your sin. Believe the gospel. Believe in me. Follow. Why can you do that? Because of the resurrection. So I asked the question, did Jesus really rise from the dead? Peter believed he did. Mark wrote that he did. I guess ultimately, though, you just have to decide if you think he did. But understand this. Whatever you decide, know that all the evidence says that he was dead and in a tomb that no one could rob. And then he wasn't. That he rose again. And no one would ever make up such a ridiculous story. So do you follow him? When Jesus broke out of that grave, he provided the greatest breakthrough of all. He provided the opportunity for you to break free. Have you experienced that breakthrough today? Trust Christ with your life. Give your life right now here now to follow him. And in just a moment, some of us will be right here, and we will be here in our time of what we call an invitation. And if you've never broken free and followed Christ, and you want to do that, you can you can come talk about to one of us what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Whatever you do today, you can pray with us, whatever. But whatever you do today, walk out of here on Easter Sunday, breaking free. Experience the breakthrough of freedom. Now we come before you now, God, on Easter Sunday to thank you and praise you for the resurrection of Christ. He came because of your great love for us. He died because of his love for us. And he rose again so that we could have life. That we could experience the wonder and the miracle of a breakthrough. And so now I pray in the name of Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit that those who have never experienced that breakthrough can at this moment have it in their life. They can know it's real and trust you. And that trusting you, Father, they would experience the freedom like no other. The freedom of a breakthrough. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? You come. We'll be here.